Welcome to the Mimecast. This is Michael Jean Sullivan. Now, for the past 60 years, the Tony and Obie Award winning and despite its name never ever silent San Francisco Mime Troupe has brought its brand of revolutionary theater to audiences across the country and around the world. Their original musical comedies, and some dramas, but mainly comedies, have tackled social and economic and environmental justice, civil rights, workers' rights, gender equality, oppression at home and abroad, and how capitalism is essentially antithetical to democracy. Hundreds of artists, actors, designers, writers, directors, composers, lyricists, and choreographers have helped the Mime Troupe inform, entertain, and stir up the working class over the decades. And the Mimecast is a chance to get to know some of them a little bit better. Then this week we have the inevitable Ed Holmes. Unavoidable. <laughs> How you doing, Ed? I'm doing well, Michael, under the circumstances as well as can be expected. Yeah, really. It's like mm-hmm. some people are going, starting to go a little nuts, and some people I'm are just noticed. going a little more nuts than they were before. I'm noticing, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, yes. this is a chance for people to get to know Mime Troopers a little better than just seeing them on the stage or knowing that they're in the office. So let's start at the beginning with the Ed Holmes story. Where were you born? <laughs> Where were you born? I was born in East Cleveland, Ohio, uh, May 24th, 1945. And... Uh, uh, Bob and Jesse and uh, grew up in East Cleveland, bopped around, had a little bit of on the edge of the Cleveland out in the country, had a little bit back into town. Uh, you know, the usual sh- uh, high school, I was kind of a class clown um, and a lousy student. Uh, I didn't have any uh, college plans. I didn't couldn't afford it. Uh, parents were uh, quite in the working class. And I didn't have the grades. I almost, uh, I almost got a scholarship at Ohio State for a diver. I was a diver on the swim team at high school, but wow. uh, missed out on something. Wait a minute, your school, it, your high school had a swim team? Hell yeah! And a diver? We so had like, a like, like a high dive. Yes, three meter board, a couple of one meter boards, and I was a diver on the swim team. Yes. Wow. Yes. I remember when we go on the road, you would always be diving off the rocks into yes. the Uber River. Oh, I yeah. did not know that. But I want to I go back a little bit. So sure. between you being born and being in high school. Yeah. Uh, so your parents, were your parents from Cleveland or had they moved there? Uh, no, they're from Cleveland. And uh, uh, dad had been in World War II and the infantry in the Big Red One, the first division, had uh, fought wow. in uh, uh, North Africa against Rommel. Uh, wow. And, uh, had landed in Sicily, and that he had collected enough wounds in uh, North Africa and Sicily that he was excused from his outfit, which was headed for uh, D-Day, for Normandy, and was going to land on, uh, was it Utah Beach? I was going to mix up Utah or Omaha. And his unit was kind of like decimated. So if he wouldn't have gotten a pass because of his wounds, uh, I I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I didn't know they. I didn't even know they did that. So it's just a count of wounds. It's not. I always thought you had to have a major wound. Uh, he had. A, he had enough of them. He had like three wounds in in the space of uh, 
his two years in the infantry. Uh, and uh, yeah, so well, lucky enough. Uh, so then he gets he gets out, uh, comes home, gets married, has a kid. And uh, they grew up. Oh, and he gets a job at the Cleveland Electric Power Plant, uh, a oh. big power coal fired power plant on the shores of Lake Erie. Because my grandfather, who had immigrated from uh, Poland uh, when he was like eight years old, uh, he comes over to the to America, comes to Cleveland, is working uh, miscellaneous jobs. Get his he gets a job there. So it's kind of a very despotic chain of events. So my dad, and then uh, this figures in later in our story. Uh, so he was like, a, you know, an operating engineer at a power plant and uh, mom was a housewife and uh, they were beautiful roller skaters together. They really? uh, I remember going to a roller rink and they would flow around the floor and dance. And it was just, and the music, you know, the guy playing that organ thing and yeah. roller skating music. And I remember and I was just a little speedball going as fast as I could around. But they would be in the center doing these beautiful. It was uh, probably the happiest I ever saw them together. So, was that uh, how they met, or did they just get into that? They realized they were both into it. You know, I think, I think they did meet at a roller rink. Yeah, uh, when my dad got out, he came back, and then yeah, so I, yeah, that's roller rink parents. So uh, wow. yeah, the uh, so I had grew up, bounced around different places in Cleveland, East Cleveland. Uh, was a jock in high school, played football and baseball, and uh, and I was a diver on the team, and, and like a C plus student, um, and a wise ass. So I was getting in trouble once in a while, you know, for talking back. Uh, had that reputation. Uh, so I get out, graduate in '63, uh, work some crappy jobs for a year. Uh, Uarco business forms. I was like an office boy and mail delivery boy. You know, still living at home. Uh, yeah, still living at home. Uh, but then uh, uh, I got, uh, I moved in with a, a buddy. Uh, oh, then, so I met my uh, Barb, uh, who's my, my first wife, and uh, at a swimming pool there. And I was hanging around with her and then her brother. And we kind of got a place on the west side of Cleveland. And uh, then I got fired from the Uarco job. And then I got a job at um, Republic Steel. Working mm. in the steel mills, open hearth uh, steel mills, uh, which was a trip uh, because, like, what's the opening scene? Um, uh, deer Hunter, in mm. Deer Hunter, they had an open a steel mill opening scene. There's another movie, uh, Richard Gere, um, steel mill scene. Oh, it's a, a Terrence Malick film. Oh, uh, I can't remember. Uh, uh, out in the prairies. Yeah. Uh, Sam Shepard, I think is, there's also an opening scene there of the open hearth furnaces, and they're just surreal, giant machines and uh, sparks flying everywhere and uh, flames leaping around. And so I was working there. Uh, I got. What uh, were you doing? What was your job at the open hearth? I was called a slagger. A slagger. So every of uh, every oven, these had these giant ovens, old ancient brick ovens, cooking steel up, and. Uh -huh. uh, they had these machines that would run in and the doors would open up and they dump different chemicals or, or a geology in there. And then they mix it up with the iron and then scrap iron. And then we were some guys who would, they'd dump a pile of some sort of 
uh, additive, and then we'd have to take a shovel, go up, and the door would open up, uh, flames, and we'd have to go up to that door and throw the shovel full of stuff in there, and your eyebrows would singe off, and you're wearing giant things. It was mad, just mad. I mean, then uh, guys were dying. Uh, some guy fell off the back end of the thing into a giant puddle of slag. So I get elevated to a job that I went, I mean, I can't, I, this is a death job. So I quit there and uh, had a buddy out of high school that says, come on down to Ford Motor. And so I went down to Ford Motor and on Cleveland and was on the engine assembly line for mm-hmm. about three months. I was going nuts. And uh, that was my future. I was going to be, and then, of course, then I'm getting closer and closer with this, with the, uh, my first wife. And we're kind of like, so I'm going to, what? That was my future. I was going to be a factory worker. I was going to get her pregnant. And that was going to be it. Uh, right. Fortunately. Cleveland forever. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I got drafted. Eighteen sixty four. It turned out to be a good thing. So I get drafted. I go, uh, and my dad goes, "Oh, you ain't gonna go." I, I said, "You're not going to the army." And I had always been, as I was growing up, uh, in love with the sea, the romance of the sea. I mean, uh, when Moby Dick came out, I think it was in '58 or something. I saw the movie like five times in a row. I read oh, Moby Dick. I was 10 years old. I knew all the history of sailing vessels. I could name every sail on a clipper ship. Uh, I was drawing them. I knew whaling. So I was deep into uh, maritime history. And uh, so it was kind of like, I want to join the Navy. Uh, I'm going to go join the Navy. I'm going to go see the world and I'm going to learn a job. So, uh, uh, but you have to join. So it's either two years. Well, this is 64. So Vietnam was not cooking then. It was still a, you know, uh, a police, not a police action, advisory action. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't a big thing to worry about. But I went, no, I'm not going to be in the Army. I'm going to I want to be I'm going to do that sailor thing. So mm-hmm. join the Navy uh, for four years. You have to, the minimum it was four. So I go down there to the uh, the recruiting station. And a guy goes, okay, so here's a recruiter. Now the recruiters, they're like used car salesmen, you know, fundamentalist preachers, you know, all smiles, you know, yeah, come on in. Hey, yeah. Hey, what can the Navy do for you? You know, um, I says, well, I'm, I'm you know, I want to learn a trade. He says, okay, good. Well, here's the book of jobs. Take this home, come back next week, and you tell me exactly what it is you want to do and get out of the name. Okay, fine. Good. Good. So I go back and I'm leafing through the book and I had, I had no inclinations or tendencies or talents, you know, uh, I had some basic mechanical ability because my dad was, I'm basically a mechanic. So, uh, I'm looking at the book and look at the book and I don't know why, uh, but my, my choice was meteorologist. Really? Yes. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, it's like it's outdoors. Uh, sure. Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, it could true. be adventurous, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh so ah. I go back to the recruiter, you know, in downtown Cleveland. I go, I want to be a meteorologist. And he goes, "Yeah, sure. No problem. Here, sign here, you know." Oh, so you wow. sign there, come back next week, get on the bus, go to Waukegan, uh, Illinois, just north of Chicago for basic training for two months. And you take all kinds of tests and they try to brainwash you and they do a pretty good job of it. And then you take these uh, aptitude tests and uh, then you come back at the end. of the And so you're just about ready to get out of boot camp and go on to whatever training uh, for your job. 
And I go into that that guy and he goes, and so now they got my, you know, they got me hooked. You know, I'm in for four. So the the, the counselor goes, yeah, well, we ain't taking any meteorologists right now. <laughs> what? But I signed up for, yeah, right. Okay, well, we're not taking any. Sorry. You know. <laughs> so Ask now, again but, next uh, year. Yeah. <laughs> but if you... But looking at your aptitude test, you know, you uh, you could be, um, you know, one of these mechanical things. There's machinist mate and there's boiler technician. It's all these heavy duty engine room things. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, OK, fine. Yeah. I says, OK, I, says, I guess I could do that. Yeah. OK. Uh, and he goes now, son, son, he called me son. I don't just say this to anybody, but, you know, I says you, you could qualify for nuclear power school. Ooh. Ooh. this is the wave of the future now you see back then you know they're showing the little stupid things in class they're friendly at them you know, uh, yeah. you know this is going to be the wave of the future i'm going wow that's kind of interesting because yeah you know, my grandfather and my dad work in coal-fired energy plants oh, so i could be the next generation perfect and he go yeah that sounds good and he says but but here comes the butt. It's always a big butt. It's always a big butt in there. He goes, to get this training, you got to do two extra years of training. It's very intense engineering training. And so you got to sign up for two more years. Three years. Uh, so that uh, hitched a pause in my you know, giddy up there. And I went, hmm, four years to six years. But, you know, this is. This is an opportunity here, ground floor, and I, or I'm not sure I'm I'm saying that to myself or the uh, the guy saying it to me. It. Yeah, you're going to get some training that's going to get you in position when you if you get out if you don't decide not to stay in the Navy, you're going to get this a job in the nuclear power field which is just growing leaps and bounds. This is good. So I went, yeah, okay, fine, sure, <laughs> okay. So I had signed up. Signed the paper for machinist mate school, which is basically a steam mechanic, valve twister. Signed the papers for two in, uh, two years of nuclear power training. And then he goes, now, would you like to volunteer for submarines? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up watching Victory at Sea. And, you know, yeah. I grew up every submarine movie. So adventure? Yeah. Danger. Yeah, yeah. It's cooler and cooler and cooler for you. Yes. Extra yeah. pay. Oh, yeah. Esprit de corps. Yeah. Yeah. So in a space for, you know, like three minutes, I signed three uh, uh, signatures and destined me to. So so off I go. I go to machinist mate school, still there in Waukegan for two months, and I learn how to twist valves. Then I get out of that and go to a submarine school in New London. You do two months of submarine, and they have to screen you. You have to do all kinds of tests. You know, pressure tests, uh, your ears. And psychological tests and you're weeding people out. You know, if you don't, you got to have some weeding people out. You got to you got to be too nuts or not nuts enough. I'm not sure which way the weeding went. Yeah, it's like, what's the yeah. Because, I, mean, like, I mean, it's so hard to be in a submarine. You're going to be down there with people. They don't want you to go nuts. That's while right. you're in a tin can yeah. hundreds of feet down. Gotta, but, and so the, a lot of the psychological tests were putting you under some stressful conditions and just, you know, these old salts are just watching you, seeing how you're handling them and seeing how you're handling them with your crewmates. So right. we went through a lot of tests and there's guys. Uh, and then, oh, so the last thing at this two months training at submarine school, New London, Connecticut, 
uh, was to go out on a real submarine. He had his old diesel boat sitting down at the pier, and we march us down there, and there's these old salts kind of, you know, doing these really, they're called milk runs, take out the, the, the young, uh, the boots, you know. And so you go down inside this uh, old submarine, and it's an old diesel boat, and it stinks like diesel, you know, mold. And then uh, they take it out the river, and they go out, and they cross the bar into deep water. And they, you know, then they, the alarm comes on, goes, dive, dive, you know. And the, the engine shut down, and then you hear all these hydraulics going and air compression. And the boat motion is going like this on the ocean. And then all of a sudden it goes, Ooh. Gliding underwater. Now, some guys, uh, these students who had passed every test with flying colors, psychological, all the engineering tests, all the uh, everything, scholastic tests, uh, the interviews, and everything, when they felt that boat go under, uh, they had a change of mind. They felt, yes. And it didn't happen in our class, but the story was other classes, guys would, uh, their eyes would kind of go kind of wide. And the old salts are down there talking to us. Hey, where are you from? Uh, you know, blah, blah. Kind of keeping an eye on us. They would hit a button and the submarine would surface and there'd be a boat out there and they'd take the guy off and he'd thank them. You know, thanks for trying, you know, and then they'd send them off to the surface fleet. Well, that is yeah. so weird because it's, I mean, it seems like it's great. It's really interesting that they've got like, like you're saying, the old salts who are just yeah. there just looking at you, yeah. just like, how you oh. doing? What's going on? And yeah. having to have conversations with you. But it would seem to me like you're already in the submarine and that it goes down yeah. would just be it going down. You wouldn't nothing would change except for, I guess, pressure. Yeah, well, a little bit of pressure change. Yeah, the ear, ears would change. But you'd feel suddenly the depth of the ocean underneath you. you huh. know, it's like you're on the surface and you're kind of you're on the surface. There's air, you know, huh. but now you feel yourself underwater and there's nothing underneath you except, you know, 10,000 foot of, uh, of water. So yeah, some guys had it. So I didn't, I, I made it out. So I got, get out. Now I go to my nuclear training, six months at Bainbridge, Maryland for six months of, uh, academics. Uh, and so you studied heat transfer and fluid flow, metallurgy, algebra, major math things, uh, physics, uh, nuclear physics that you get, you're getting a cram course in nuclear engineering in six months wow. to get your basics. And you got, and it's tough and there's tests and there's more tests and the more. And so I'm, I'm working there. I'm working through it. I can focus a little bit enough to get my grades where I wouldn't get kicked out. Other guys are getting kicked out. And they, even though they had signed up for six years for nuclear training, if they flunk, they still got six years to do in the Navy. Oh, that's the trick. Oh, I had one question. So were you married yet? Uh, No, not yet. Okay. Uh, uh, Oh, no, and, and this, was this like the furthest you'd ever been away from home? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Connecticut? Uh, as, a, as a kid, yeah. My dad would take me to Niagara Falls, you know, from Cleveland. That was our big oh. trips. Uh, oh, once on a high school, I, I drove to Washington, D.C. to visit a buddy who was in the Air Force Station there. And that was my long trip. But oh, so, so we're, uh, I, I get through Bainbridge, Maryland, and then the next thing is six months of prototype, which is an actual steam generating nuclear power plant. And uh, there's several of them around the country for training purposes. And this one was up in uh, West Milton, New York, right near Saratoga Springs, upper state New York, Saratoga Springs, Skidmore College. 
So I get sent there for six months of training, and I'm we're living in a house in Skidmore, and then commuting uh, half an hour out of town to this uh, nuclear power plant where now it's hands-on, turning valves and taking gauges and going through procedures and emergency procedures, and this the the heat's on now, so to speak, because this yeah. is where you get to qualify to go to a nuclear power plant on either a surface or a submarine vessel. So guys are. It's tough. It's really uh, Rickover, Admiral Rickover, the father of the nuclear navy, uh, was like a benevolent eh, dictator about this whole thing. And the reason uh, nuclear power has a good reputation, a good in the, in the navy, didn't have any really serious uh, troubles. Um, it's because of Rickover demanding the utmost. I mean, really uh, a stickler for detail. So you go through this training thing, and I had to spend, I wound up sleeping out there at West Milton, not coming home because I had to stay and study and get ready. So you get through that, and I get out. And so now, okay, I, I passed. You know, a bunch of friends didn't. I think it was like about a 40% uh, fail rate. Wow. Uh, guys get kicked out. I just can't measure up. I so measure you're up. like a year and a half now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So a year and a half, I haven't touched a boat yet. I mean, that one little submarine ride and out of New right. London. Wow. So I get out, and now I'm designated for submarine service because I had volunteered for it. I had done the two month training, and um, but the, in 1963, a uh, year before I went in, the Thresher, USS Thresher, mm -hmm. uh, went down and didn't come back up on a training mission off the East Coast. And they were still looking, trying to pick up the parts from uh, a mile or two below the surface and put it back together again and try to figure and out. The Thresher was a nuclear boat? Yeah, a nuclear boat, a fast attack nuclear boat. And uh, it was like the first one of its uh, a class. So it was a new class. Oh, oh, wow. So that goes down. And so now they stopped building the boats, all the shipyard stuff, because they wanted to find out, well, what the heck happened? So they're trying to put this puzzle together of the thresher so that they can not do, you know, that doesn't happen again. Uh, so we get orders, there's a, our class, um, well, there's no submarines available right now because we're not building them. So there's, you're going to go to, we're going to send you to a surface boat, uh, a surface nuclear boat. Uh, there's a couple of cruisers they had. Uh, and, but kind of went, oh, we're getting gypped. We wanted to go to submarines. We wanted esprit de corps, man. We wanted extra pay. Uh, I went, no, you can't. There's a guy in a class, had a dad who had a number of somebody who called it up. We had those orders changed. There's about six of us in that class, really? designated subs, headed for surface. All of a sudden, they withdrew that, and they sent us to uh, to wait for a nuclear billet, they called it, a nuclear job yeah. to open up on a submarine. Uh, they sent us to old diesel boats. Now, oh. these don't, they only had about a dozen left. This is 1966. Uh, these are old World War II boats. Yeah, these are old World War II boats. Uh, and uh, so they, they still had a few of them running around, so they sent us to there. So I get stationed, uh, get sent to Pearl Harbor to the USS Tyru, SS-416. And uh, so diesel boats were another Navy. They were like the Hell's Angels of the Navy. Mm -hmm. These guys were crusty. These guys were, because the duty was uh, what they call arduous, arduous plus, because it was uh, uh, cramped, uh, smelly, uh, <laughs> uh, just difficult duty. 
What's uh, the and so size we difference board. between like nuclear boat that you nuclear were going to go to? Because you're saying this was this was more crap than a regular yeah, than a yeah, nuclear. Yeah, uh, this is like a crew of seventy, uh, and a nuke boat's a crew of 110. Oh, 100. wow. And uh, uh, and then also it's just old machinery. Yeah. I mean, duct tape and bailing wire. I mean, they're just holding these boats together with, uh, right. you know, a high level of jury uh, rigging craft. But these boats are still useful. Uh, and yeah. they have a purpose in the Navy that the uh, nuke boats couldn't do because an old diesel boat could get in close to shore in shallow water and a nuke boat can't, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. figures later in the story. So uh, we report aboard, there's about, uh, there's two of us, there's two or three on a Tyru, and these old salts, bearded, the only, you know, the only branch of the surface at that time that you can grow a beard, because water was not plentiful on the boat. Oh, right. You had, diesel boat did not make its own, it, you could make a little water, but not enough to take a shower, not enough to shave, just enough for the coffee pot and to top off the batteries, you know. So, uh Pretty crusty guys, and they look down. You know, these assholes, you know, nukes. Oh, you know, they roll their eyes. Oh, god. So I'm in the engine room, um, and diesels. I'm working on diesels now. Hey, man. Now, no, no. Did you have to get retrained for diesel? Uh, no, no, okay. <laughs> no. You, it's on the job training. You know, oh. you're standing watch with cup with the guys who are you know who have been there a while. And I had was lucky the guy I stood watch with. Uh, Antonio, the Filipino guy, was wonderful. He, you know, showed me the ropes and you know how to do things and what to look out for. So we take this. So I thought, well, I'm going to be here a few months. No, it took a year. I was on this boat for a year. And we go and head for a Westpac cruise, the Western Pacific cruise. We'd leave Pearl, and we're going to go to uh, Brisbane, Australia first for a little R and R, or uh, as I like to call it, I and I, intoxication mm-hmm. and intercourse. And uh, then we're going to go and do these patrols over in, you know, the, the West Pacific, which included Vietnam. And uh, so uh, we're on the boat and uh, we're doing training. You know, it's constant. You have to get qualified on a boat. The little dolphins that uh, submarine sailors wear on the chest, you got to earn those dolphins. The first time you're on a boat, you have to qualify, which means you have to know every switch, valve, pipe, procedure, everything in every compartment you have to know everybody's job and until wow. you're qualified yeah until you're qualified you're you're a non-qual puke you're a hazard because the the, uh, the submarines if you you know, whatever compartment you're in something goes wrong uh the, the that electrical box starts sparking there's spray coming out of that thing you got to know which what to turn what to you know, right. how to save the whole crew so you're constantly being trained in that. You're constantly tracing out, you know, lines. You're in the build, tracing out the lines and finding out the. And uh, you're constantly having, um, you know, uh, fire at sea drills, uh, repel borders, uh, you know, just every constant collision alarms. You know, so, you, uh, so it's tough. It's rough. It's uh, it's challenging, and it was being in the navy. It was really being a sailor because these diesel boats when they went somewhere they traveled on the surface uh nuke boat would go out uh clear the bar and go underwater and wouldn't have to come back up for two months or three months oh god they were underwater without a sight of you know only guys that saw anything were the guys looking through the periscope right diesel 
had to run on the surface to make any any way, getting to make you know, make some miles. And then they, we we you know, dive to get you know, so we're doing these divings and surfacing, and so, but we're running on the surface. And I'm standing watching the engine room, which is uh, hot, uh, loud, uh, smelly, uh, boring as fuck. Just you know, in room. Oh God! But. Uh, we were extra. Somebody we were kind of extra, so we would get to shift up to uh, the control room, and sometimes we'd be on the helm. Sometimes when we're underwater, we'd be on the diving planes. We're on the surface, we'd be up in the sail as lookouts. So I'm up in the sails, lookouts, enough times to get a sense of the ocean. I mean, that romance of the sea was like uh, seeing dolphins playing on the bow wave. I'm seeing. Uh, you know, storms at sea, uh, it, it, and the sea like glass. I'm seeing, you know, having an experience, a real experience of the sea. Um, we stop at the equator. We do the ritual on the equator where you have to meet Neptune's court, you know, and uh, be Can't a... Can you uh, describe that for people who don't know? <laughs> okay, so if you haven't crossed the equator, uh, you're a polywog, right? And if you have crossed the equator, you're a shellback. So this ritual dates back to, you know, day zero, the first boat, you know, across the equator some, you know, thousands of years ago. And so you stop in the equator, uh, the captain, and so like out of a crew of what we had 60 something, 70 guys on board, there were probably half of them were shellbacks and half of them were polywogs. Now, we knew as polywogs that what was going to happen, you know, we're going to have to do these, these kind of messy rituals, but also that we would get our hair all our hair cut, shaved. And we didn't uh-huh. want to do that because we're going to Brisbane, Australia, and the girls like Americans there. So we want So some wise guy you know, found out where the shaving clippers were, the haircutting clippers, and stole them. So we're kind of uh-huh. being kind of cocky, you know, guy. Yeah, they ain't going to take our hair. So stop at the equator. Captain comes over the one MC. Now all polywogs lay to the forward torpedo room. Uniform of the day, skivvies uh, backwards. <laughs> okay, <laughs> conjure that. So here we are, yeah. bottom ladder. You know, going going as we come up the up to the hatch, coming up to the deck. There's a chief of the boat on the old cell phone, and he's he's kind of smiling at us, and he's got a big pair of wire clips, wire snips. Oh God. And so he takes a dig out of one side of your head, takes a dig out of the other, and just turns your head into this ugly looking, you know, okay, you know, score one for those guys. And then there's yeah, the. Really. Uh, That's when you yeah. find the clippers. You go, oh, these! You own the hair. Sorry. Uh, so then there's the, uh, uh, the, the royal court, which consists of the royal baby, which was this torpedo man. Uh, and oh, and what the. Shellbacks have been doing for like two weeks before we reach uh, the equator is saving buckets full of the swill from the galley. That um, that stew that didn't go over too well, they kind of put that uh, that pudding that maybe whatever you just start collecting the stuff in buckets. Yeah. And so you climb up and now you go through the court. And so there's the royal baby and you got to kiss the royal baby's belly. Now it's just torpedo man, and he had this big belly, and on the big belly, right around his, he had a lot of tattoos, but the one I remember most 
was the one around his uh, belly button was a little bunny rabbit, cartoon bunny rabbit, looking over its shoulder. So its tail was right above. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Picture. So you kind of go. You, I had to kiss that. So you're trying to go. Well, maybe I'll just get rid. And then he grabs your head, and his belly is smeared with his swill. So he's. Bleh, bleh. Then you crawl down the line, and there's the queen, and it's some chief with a mop on his head and a couple of coconut tits. And uh, you got to kiss her foot. And, of course, the foot is in another Swill. barrel. Swill. Oh, Splat. And then there's King Neptune. And King Neptune kind of, you know, he kind of, you got to kiss his hand, you know. And it's a, and then you have to crawl through this uh, chute, about a 15-foot canvas chute that is filled with more swill and oil and you know, just rancid stuff. And meanwhile, on the outside, these guys are hitting you on the ass through this on this shoot with the lengths of fire hose ah, tradition. Wow. You know, you get out at the that other end, you hop, like the, <laughs> you hop in the water, you know, the boat's sitting still. You hop in this beautiful Pacific uh, tropical water, you know, and uh, you, they pull you back up and say, welcome aboard shellback. And now you're a shellback. And then you say, now there's a. a a couple of guys up in the sail who are on shark watch. So you're putting in this, you're putting this big stain of all this uh, swill right. and meat yeah. sauce and those what else. And so Sharky, Sharky gets a whiff and he blows the whistle and everybody hops out of the water and they put a little way on the boat to get away from that big cloud of stuff. And then they continue. So and then go back in the water. Yeah. Wow. And so there are, we're, so I get across. So we pull into Brisbane and go to Brisbane uh, Brisbane in 1966. Uh, Vietnam was not at, at its high point yet. It was starting its building. And sending uh, uh, American GIs to Australia was starting to pick up, but they loved American GIs in uh, Australia. So we're walking down. We're going to be there for a week. Kind of walking down the street with our little flippity flappity bell bottoms, you know, and cupcake hats, you know. And we're walking down Brisbane, which was a charming old town. And there's these, uh, we walk by a bar and these old Aussies, you know, come out, grab us, pull us in and have to buy us drinks. Yanks. We're going to, you know, we're going to, and they start talking about, well, it's your dad's, you know, or your dad came over here and fought for us and blah, blah, blah. And we want to, and so we couldn't buy a drink in that town. And we were like treated royally. Um, wow. They would take us out to dinner they would take us home they would introduce us to their daughters and sacrifice their not really but you know it was <laughs> there were two weddings on this cruise one officer and one enlisted guy to what australian women no wow. so so we we do a week we're you know r and r we're doing tours you know and we're a big deal on this brisbane river i was sitting on the brisbane river and a ferry boat goes by full of school kids and this was right around the time of the yellow submarine song and the kids are all singing we all live in a chorus it was beautiful so uh, we leave okay now we're headed towards where were we headed uh, uh uh the philippines going to subic bay big navy base there and we're kind of like a, a day out of brisbane headed north and uh, uh we run aground on frederick reef Oh, uh, the uh, navigation officer, a Annapolis boy, uh, made a mistake, forgot to figure in drift. 
And so we're going oh. through the barrier reef and there's a some sort of drift that pulled us over. So we're running on the surface and it's at nighttime. It's at high tide and I'm sleeping in the forward uh, torpedo room, you know, kind of like and all of a sudden the collision alarm goes off. Now, we had only been training for like, uh, well, more probably a month, a couple of weeks in Pearl and then a couple of weeks in transit headed for Australia. But training, relentless training, knowing what to do in every emergency. The alarm goes off. Whoop, 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 whoop. I, out of a sound sleep, my feet hit the deck. Uh, my eyes open up and I lurch towards the first thing, which is secure that the escape trunk valve. Okay. But somebody was right there because there's like, you know, 20 guys sleeping in, you know, right. you know a little a van size space. Uh, I reach toward the, 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 the depth log. Uh, somebody's over there. I reach toward the, the, the hatch. Somebody's there and I sit back down. It was like automatic. I was wow. not even conscious. It was like so ingrained already that, that I knew. Training. Yeah. Wow. And then all of a sudden, we run up on Frederick Reef. Oh, wow. Uh, running up the surface. And so uh, it, the tide was high. Uh, the sea was calm. There's two, there's, there's three, four sets of eyes up on the sail when we're running on the surface. They're constantly scanning the horizon. Constantly looking around for anything. And then one uh, uh, lookout goes, he says, uh, sir, there looks like there's some uh, wind ripples up ahead, you know. Mm. And the officer of the deck, you know, he takes his binoculars and he goes, uh-huh, okay, let's look. Okay. So it looks like wind ripples, yeah. Mm-hmm. Looks like, look, Nick, hit the alarm. But we had enough way and we ran about, it says a 300-foot sewer pipe, you yeah. know, boat. And we run up on this reef. Boom. Stuck. And uh, we were there for three days. Wow. My parents are at home watching Walter Cronkite. USS oh. Tyroot runs aground. <laughs> we were a news. We were, we were worldwide news. And, and they're uh, like, what has Ed done now? Yeah. <laughs> Was he driving? <laughs> Was, yeah. Damn it. I figured. <laughs> So you ran up, did you run up on high tide or low tide? It was high tide, yeah. So they, they couldn't, it, it's like this oh. uh, 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 a half mile horseshoe reef, just, and on high tide, it's just under the water. Low tide, oh. you could have seen it. Uh, but it was a nighttime, high tide, didn't see it. We run, we run up on it, and uh, so we're stuck there, and uh, we get out, we're, we're blowing the tanks. We're lightning yeah. load. Uh, all the engines are running backwards. Uh, uh, nothing's moving. We're stuck. We're stuck. Uh, I get to go up on the sail as lookout, and I'm going to see. And they, uh, some uh, New Zealand Navy and Australian Navy ships come out, but they can't get close to us because of the shallow water. Right. Uh, so we're put on a call to Brisbane, to a tug, the, the Carlock. I just remember. Oh, I just remember that pulled it out oh. of my memory bank. The Carlock, a tub. Oh. Yeah, uh, would get in close to us. So we're waiting there. Uh, meanwhile, a storm kicks up. Now we're living, we're living on like a 15 degree angle, you know. Yeah. Everybody's walking around like this, you know. And uh, uh, I'm up in the sail and I'm looking around. I'm seeing these boats, you know, and helicopters flying over, you know, news people and stuff and waving and kind of. And uh, the wind is coming from the starboard side. And, you know, all of a sudden the wind dies. 
okay? That's calm, okay? It's fine, it's calm. And all of a sudden, the wind picks up from the port side, and the, wa- the waves start picking up at the port side, and the boat starts to roll to the oh. other side. You're up in the mast. I'm at the top, and so you're at the top of this arc, right? And it's like, a, you know, uh, an amusement ride that you don't know what the yeah, purpose is. Uh, and it's rolling over, you know, and I, I had my, uh, you got a strap, you're strapped into the the lookout chair and you, I had the belt off. I had my binoculars off and I was ready to, to hop on the sail and walk. If the boat was going to keep rolling, I was just going to walk to the bottom, you know, uh, but it just hit that we have these fins on the bottom for stabilization when they do, uh, they uh, put themselves on the bottom. So uh, purposefully. Uh, so it just hitched up on the other fin, and for another day and a half, we lived uh, for uh, guys were blown about, overboard. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, guys were blown overboard. We had to rescue them. Uh, got injured. Had to be helicoptered to to Sydney for to get fixed. Um, finally, the car lock comes up, throws a line, pulls us right off, and uh, uh, we go back to Brisbane. Now that's there's no leakage. I mean, we there's but a still, but outer still. hole and a pressure hole. The pressure hole was still solid, so no leakage there. Um, but the outer hole was all beat to shit, and the torpedo tubes were slightly out of line. So uh, we had to go back to Brisbane, uh, go to a dry dock there to inspect before we continued uh, go go to the next place, which was a dry dock in Japan to get fixed. So we pull into Brisbane, and there's all these girls waving at us, girlfriends. Guys, <laughs> hey, welcome back. <laughs> yeah, really. So, well, we've been gone yeah. a few minutes, but yeah. hey. <laughs> so heroes return. So we get out. Uh, and so, the, oh, so, yeah, we get out, uh, get a checked off. So, okay, we're going to go to Yakuska, the big base in uh, Japan, Tokyo Bay, to the big uh, uh, shipyard there. Uh, we have to get fixed. And uh, so we head north and skirt the Great Barrier Reef. Now, the guy who put us on there, that uh, Annapolis boy, uh, right. uh, he gets, uh, you know, it was his fault. You know? uh, right. The captain ultimately, you know, it's his fault too, but no, it's this navigator. He gets transferred when we get to Japan. And uh, he gets transferred to the Pentagon. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. that's an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> Go make decisions there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess they figured the the building isn't moving, so he can't crash into anything. You're fine. You're fine. Good. Well, so, must have been so some month, congressman's son or something. <laughs> so we're a month getting wow. fixed in the uh, in Japan. I remember it was over Christmas. It was like the loneliest Christmas of my life. It was just bleak and cold. And uh, Japan was so alien, such an alien place. I mean, there's nothing visually that you could relate to. Everything was, you know, their kanji and, uh, and all the smells and all the uh, language. There's nothing. And uh, but I'm walking, we're walking down the street in Tokyo, and we're just kind of like, oh, we got to go back to the base or something. And we hear jazz playing, American jazz. We go down this alley. There's a jazz, in a, and we go in this bar, and it's a, it's this bar that was playing American jazz and was just packed full of probably mostly students. Uh, mm. And uh, we come walking in and these guys, we were like celebrities, Yankees. And they sat us down and started buying us drinks. And our conversations were basically, uh, 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 Miles Davis, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, Eddie Harris, <laughs> you know, just naming jazz. And as, as the music's playing and we're, yeah. And 
so we were kind of jazz was jazz real big probably still is in japan and uh so we get out of there we get back we continue this cruise now we cruise consisted of um one time a longest underwater thing we did now we could go underwater and stay underwater if we stuck a mast a snorkel to breathe to recharge the batteries you can put a snorkel up and you can run the diesels and charges the battery because these are electric in, uh, motors that, that drive the boat uh, and also charge the airbanks so you can breathe. So we, uh, our, our job was to sneak in. We had spent about 50 days, 50 days underwater, snorkeling uh, in in the daytime. Um, in the daytime, we at night we'd sneak into Shanghai Harbor. This was back when China didn't own us, and they were you know right. they were, weren't our friends. We'd sneak into Shanghai Harbor, get close to their shipping lanes and their docks and whatever, stick up some masts and plot the place of their radar and plot their radio stations and take pictures. In the daytime, we'd sneak out in, uh, into deep water, 12 miles out, and then we'd stick up the snorkel and recharge. Um, and now the Chinese, the 12-mile limit is kind of the national uh, acceptance, but the Chinese went, no, yeah. No, 20 miles, you know, 50 miles. So they knew we were out there. So we'd play cat and mouse. The mm-hmm. masks up, you know, and they're all looking around. Uh, we, we know that somebody's coming, these little patrol boats. And so we go underwater and hide. And then patrol boats knew we were out there. And they, you can hear they're just like on, uh, just like on the television, just like in the movies, little ping. Oh, ping. really? You can actually hear that. Oh, I, didn't, yeah. I always figured that was just a special effect they oh, did. No. Oh, you hear it. Ping. So uh, they're pinging us. And uh, every once in a while, they throw a hand grenade over the side because just to say, we know you're down there. Round eye. Right. A uh, hand grenade wouldn't do anything to the boat, you know, unless it landed. Yeah. So death we're death playing death. with that. Uh, and after like so after. Oh, the, so some of the myths about submarine service, the best food in the Navy. Right. Well, yeah, for a while. You know, after two weeks, all the fresh food's gone. Uh, After a month, uh, anything that's kind of really good is gone. You're getting into the second month, and uh, everything's powdered. Powdered eggs, powdered milk, powdered spinach, powdered Powdered water. Powdered spinach? What the hell is powdered? powdered? I just add water and shake it, yeah. (laughs) This just sounds like a smoothie, a bad old smoothie. I remember in the movie Das Boot... When yeah. they, they, they first go out yeah. and they're like, everybody's okay. And there's all these like oranges and all yeah. this food that's exactly. hanging on the inside yeah. of it, just stuck to the walls, wherever they could pack something that was going to be fresh. We would walk on cases, number 10 can cases of, uh, you know, beans and stuff like that, be it in the, in the passageway. So you'd oh, walk right. on them. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so yeah, everything is, so food was horrible and you turned into a zombie and it's like, you were kind of. Everybody's walking around after, you know, 40 days and they're kind of like, you do your job. Okay. You stand your watch and you, you eat something just to, cause you had to eat something and then you'd sleep, you know, and then you get up and you do your job. I mean, it was people like zombies. Wow. Finish that. Go back to, uh, back to Japan, get drunk, have fights. Uh, just, you know, it was, uh, an adventure. It was like a Hollywood adventure. It was because uh, because the crew, you really get close, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. 
but with the officers also, there was less division between the aristocracy and the proletariat because the officers and the crew were together. And so you hit the beach and you'd be buying each other drinks and you'd be backing each other up in a bar fight. And uh, uh, I got, you know, I qualified, got my dolphins, you know, and they'd throw you overboard into the water and then they'd take you out to get uh, to another tradition is they, once you, once you earn your dolphins, they take you to a bar and they get the biggest brandy sniffer and they'd pour a shot of everything into that brandy sniffer. A shot of this, a shot of that, some yeah. of this, like this. And then, so it was like, you know, I've got a couple, three inches of mixed liqueurs. And they take your dolphins, you know, drop the dolphins in the bottom. And then you had to take it and chug this giant glass and then catch the dolphins in your teeth. <laughs> and then wow. they go, yeah, and then they do the chant. They go, submariners once. Submariners twice. Holy fucking Jesus Christ. We go up. We go down. We don't even fuck around. Submariners. <laughs> so stuff like that. Uh, uh, we went to the Tonkin Gulf a bunch of times. Uh, and we're like on picket duty, which is just hanging out. If a flyer gets shot down and has to ditch at sea, you go pick them up. Uh, and so we were there for a bunch of times. Uh, Tonkin Gulf, you know, it's like you know, no threat. You know, the Navy didn't have any threats. The only threats the Navy had in the Vietnam were, uh, I mean, the guys at sea. There were guys yeah. on the land, too. They had the threats. The guys at sea, it was bad weather, bad machinery, and each other. Those were the those were the, mm. the dangers. Oh, now I had a question. So you were saying, like, when you were in high school, you were, you know, kind of being uh, uh, goofball, classic clowny stuff. Yeah. Were you still any of that in the Navy? Oh, or were yeah. you like, oh, yeah? Oh, no. Uh, I was still that. I would get myself in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say something, and the chief would have me by the ear, you know, and down on the bilge or something, or uh, restricted duty or stuff like that. You know, I so I was, yeah. Still being a smartass. Yeah, smartass. I was appreciated, you know, by certain people and, you know, <laughs> abhorred by others. Uh, <laughs> so so I'm, we're finishing up this cruise, uh, and it's like it had been a, uh, established as a six-month cruise. Then it got extended to seven months then it got extended to eight months and i was getting close to nine months where i've been out this, and it's like and we were had fire at sea with an engine ran away and uh blew blew up and we had to fix it out at sea uh we were in a typhoon off of korea where we had to ride the typhoon out on the surface because uh if the typhoon right. lasts for more than three days we'd have to sur if we were underwater and we went on surfacing a boat's um balance is very precarious in the transition from underwater to surface and you can it, a big wave could roll you over oh. yeah. so we had to ride this typhoon out on the surface and i remember being up in the sail doing my uh watch lookout watch yeah waves breaking over you know the top of the sail which is like 60 70 feet off the surface and wow. we're strapped in and we're just you know and can't see into howling and i look over and there is a fishing boat probably korean most maybe japanese a fishing boat little you know 40 foot you know wooden boat and there's a guy on the back deck and he's chopping something up chopping fish up he's kind of squatted down and his boat's going uh, so we get through that, you know, every, you know, so we had fights, storms at sea, run aground, fire at sea. 
but also beautiful, uh, beautiful moments on the ocean, you know, uh, moon bows, you know, rainbow made out of moonlight and uh, mm. uh, uh, whales and just, you know, just the wildlife, wildlife in the water. So wow. finally, OK, we're done and we're headed back. We're leaving Japan and we're headed back to Pearl and we're running on the surface. Uh, three engines, I got three engines, they were just roaring, and, and everybody's, oh boy, going home, everybody's hot up to further going home, and I'm up on deck sunning myself before I go down to my engine room watch, and uh, I'm sitting there, and beautiful clouds and waves, and just a beautiful day, and everybody's kind of, ah, breathing, oh man, that was a, you know, wow, what an adventure, and this guy named Arden, who was a sonar tech, and he was very interesting, uh, character and he comes up on deck and he whips out a harmonica and he starts playing his harmonica just riffing on his harmonica and i could feel something in my legs the bones of my legs like a vibration okay and the vibration got bigger and it got bigger and it starts running up my legs, goes through my hips, starts running up the back of my spine, and it goes out through the top of my head in a burst of pure joy. Mm. I had this called peak experience. I found out later Abraham Maslow uh, was the name of the book. Abraham Maslow, uh, yeah, he lists these things of consciousness, and one of them is called the peak experience, where if you achieve, it's after you achieve a dream or a goal you have this moment of perfection, all right? Mm. And my childhood dream of being a sailor, having an adventure at sea was achieved and I got triggered by this harmonica and I, it blew, and I was breathing hard and I, I thought I was going nuts. I didn't know mm. what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what the hell's going on? And then the officer of the deck goes, hey, you better lay below, it's getting a little bit rough. So I go back down inside this smelly, noisy tube, you know, and I just, I'm still vibrating inside, but I, I, I can't talk to anybody. I, I don't know. I go stand my watch in the engine room, and I'm still just fighting. It took me about an hour to slowly get back in there. I went, what the hell was that? And it wasn't until I went to Laney Junior College and took some psych courses that I found a peak experience, moment of perfection. Now, the thing is, once that's done, you got to go get another one. <laughs> yeah, right. Now you're hooked. So, uh, so we finish that, go back to Pearl. Uh, I get orders to finally get orders to my nuclear submarine, my, my future, my golden. Yeah, right. Now you've, how you've been in at this point for like two and a half years. Yep. Huh. Yeah. And so I, I get this, finally get ordered my Homer Simpson future is awaiting me. Pascagoula, Mississippi, new construction, USS Asper, OSSN 648, a brand new fast attack submarine being built at the Lytton shipyard down at Pascagoula on the Gulf Coast. I get down there, I find out I'm going to be there for probably about a year on land in uh -huh. new construction, testing machinery, you know, to, working with these yard workers. And this is where I get my first big dose of institutionalized racism in Mississippi. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, I was aware, you know, of race, you know, but, you know, but I work with, you know, black guys, sailors and Filipinos, all kind of, you know, no big thing. But Mississippi, the shipyard, they were the you know, black guys, they did that work. 
and the white guys did that work and the black guys lived in that part of town you know it just totally yeah mm, okay and i could feel it and we were yankees so we're down a small town like about eighteen thousand people um and the people were charming y'all come back you hear you know and uh, uh but there was this tone down there about yankees because at that time, you know, the, 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 uh, they had the, with the Freedom Civil Summer. Civil rights movement. Yeah. Civil rights movement was cooking. They had sent a bunch of people down. You know, Yankees came down there to work with uh, black voter registration. Uh, Cheney, Schwerner, and what's his name get uh, murdered. Uh, you know, so I'm seeing it's really hmm, kind of I can feel a different tension there about Yankees. And yeah. you know, you're, inter- you're uh, interfering with the way we live. You know, huh. um, this black guy on uh, on the pier, sh- me and this other guy were throwing a football around on the pier. And he goes, you guys play ball? I says, yeah, yeah, we play ball. He says, want to come out for the team? I says, what do you mean, what team? He says, we got a semi-professional football team down here called the Pass Point Steelers. Two towns, Pascagoula and Moss Point next to each other. Moss Point was the black town. He says, we got a team down here. You get paid 10 bucks a game, you know, and we do a little short season. But we're needing some people. We want to come up. So our schedule was enough that we could go practice with this team. And there were a bunch of guys cut from college, a couple of guys who had tried out for the pros, a bunch of high school jocks, and uh, got a position. Did you play? Uh, the bench. I played everything. <laughs> <laughs> I played it. They me threw, too. Yeah. Go threw, bench. I mean, I was at center once. They threw me in at center. I, I'm pretty sure it was because I was a Yankee and putting me in the like the worst spot to get you know mauled. <laughs> yeah. But I played you know like a defensive end or something, and I had some playing time. And we traveled around the South. Uh, uh, we did Biloxi. We did uh, uh, a bunch of probably about six towns along the Gulf Coast. And one of the times, I, so I bought this uh, VW convertible. So I had money. So I'm getting paid extra money. I'm getting paid sub money. I'm getting paid proficiency pay for being a nuclear power. They wanted to keep you. Right. And uh, the hook on getting paid proficiency pay was you had to extend one more year. God. Here up to now, seven years. But this is where I got married, see? So I'm, I'm making <laughs> top dollar. I'm making top dollar. Uh, I'm, the, my hometown sweetheart, we had been... Sending letters back, you know, for years. You know, every time I came, I had leave. I'd come home to that her. So we decided to get married. I go to Cleveland. We get married uh, for our um, uh, for our honeymoon. We went to a New York Giants Cleveland Browns football game. <laughs> Woo! Woo-hoo. Did the Browns win? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, oh, no, it could have because uh, back then, uh, oh, no, Jim Brown. Good. Jim Brown was gone by that time, but. So I grew up with the Browns. Uh, so we get married. Uh, I'm having going to have a kid. I'm, now, this is my life, Frieder. I'm going to be, I'm going to do my nuclear job in the Navy. I'm going to get out, probably. And I'm going to have a nuclear job in, in northern Ohio because they had a plant there. Uh, and uh, my nespotic family would get me right in. So it was all set. I mean, that's what I was going to do. And uh, it kind of, kind of got... But I'm rock. I'm digging rock and roll, and uh, there's not much down there in the South. And I'm subscribing to Rolling Stone magazine and reading about oh, no, rock and roll and reading about that's early. Uh, yeah, the counterculture. I'm reading about what's going on in San Francisco. This counterculture thing. This is you know, sixty, uh, sixty-eight, and uh, uh, 
And then the Chicago convention happens, uh, Democratic convention. And I'm watching it on television. I go to the shipyard the next day and all the rednecks uh, in uniform and the civilian yard workers are going, yep, beat them fucking hippies up, didn't we? Them commie hippies. Now, they saw that and I saw a police riot. So I started going, I started questioning, uh, I started questioning my politics, which I didn't have really. But this kind of brought up, you know, what side are you on? What are you fighting for? What are, uh, so there's racism, institutionalized racism going on. I see the, 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 the culture clash going on. So I'm starting to get kind of an attitude. Now, because I had been a year on this old diesel boat, my attitude was a little different too. I was not taking shit like anybody else was like, I wasn't, I was, I was kind of, I talked back more. I got, I was in trouble for talking back to my superior officers because, you know, what are you saying that for? You know, come on, I'm doing the job, you know, so I was getting in trouble. So I had a little bit of a reputation so much so that, uh, so we had this, uh, barracks barge tied up next to the pier, uh, where the boat is and you go to work and you come in and so the boat's still being worked on. And if you got the duty, you got to stay overnight or stay over the weekend. You sleep on the barracks barge. Now I'm sleeping on the barracks barge and you, every morning at seven 30, everybody lines up on the pier for quarters where the captain or whoever addresses you about what's happening today and, uh, gives out, you know, information. So I, somebody comes down and starts shaking me. He says, Holmes, get up, get up. Our quarters are up there and they're waiting for you. I had overslept. And uh, the captain was going to give me an, uh, my four-year uh, good conduct medal. You get after four <laughs> years. After four years, uh, if you you got a clean slate, they give you a little purple ribbon. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so here I come down the brow off the boat onto the pier. Everybody's standing waiting for me. I get up there, and the captain kind of goes, here, 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 pins it on me. <laughs> yeah, right. Last one of these you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, so we put this boat in operation. We take it out on sea trials off of Key West. We do all the things that you need to do to make sure the thing is safe as it can be. Uh, and then we get commissioned in the Navy, and now we get sent to Pearl Harbor for our home port. We go through the Panama Canal, swing up to Pearl Harbor, pull into Pearl Harbor, and uh, we're the latest, you know, tool in the fleet, the latest weapon in yeah, the fleet. Really? We're a big deal. You know, bands are waiting. Long wait too. Yes, just you know, fl flags flying and bands, and, da -da -da -da, and we're taken out to dinner. Uh, some guys get transferred off, you know, and some new guys get transferred on. One of the new guys gets transferred on is this young kid. And he starts hanging around. The, now, on board the boat, there's two cultures. Uh, well, there's two cultures enlisted and uh, officer. Uh, but there's two cultures in the enlisted guys. It's country and Western music and rock and roll. Not the cult. And there's a record player in the crew's mess. And whoever, command, you know, got to the record player for us could play their music because you're playing. There weren't. You know, right. well, you played your record and everybody's listening to it. There's no earphones. So I was playing rock and rolls. These other guys playing, you know, country and Western. And we were, you know, we tolerate each other. But this young new kid gets on board and starts hanging out with us rock and rollers. And after a few days, he says, hey, you guys want to go to a party in Waikiki? He says, you know, oh, yeah, sure we do. Yeah. So we go to this party and at the party, somebody offers us 
marijuana. Ooh, devil weed. Now, I've been reading all about this. <laughs> I mean, I was up on it. I read Rolling Stone. Uh, and I got, oh, and I went, a bunch of us went, yeah, yeah, we'll try it. So we tried it. Next day, we're all busted. The kid was from ONI, Office of Naval Intelligence, mm. sent there. Narc. Narc. He narked us. And uh, so we're yanked off the boat. You know, we're now uh, security hazards. Uh, we had top mm. secret clearance for nuclear power, but now we're security oh, hazards. My. We're off the boat. We're in the barracks and waiting our fate, which could have been really bad. Bad conduct. Yeah, discharge. was it 20 years at that point or something? No, you wouldn't get, uh, well, chances are you wouldn't get prison time because so many guys were doing it. But you could get bad conduct discharge, BCD, which is like branding on your forehead. Loser. And that follows you around forever. And you lose all your benefits, you know, any benefits uh, that after you get out. But so many guys were doing it at the time, and they had so much invested in us, so to speak, in training, they decided to send uh, me and a couple other guys to uh, finish off our uh, enlistment on a, uh, a surface boat. We couldn't get back to submarines. Uh, most of the diesel boats had gone. Uh, and so arduous sea duty. Uh, and there's like uh, aircraft carriers, oilers, ammunition ships, and destroyers are, are called arduous sea duty because they spend more than... I forget what it like 250 days a year at sea. Uh, so, yeah. So I get sent eventually to the USS Hancock based in Alameda. Hancock's an old World War II aircraft carrier, 3,000 guys. I'm down in the engine room working on an oil-fired steam plant. And um, off, uh, they flew me. Actually, they flew me. It was already in the Tonkin Gulf. So I had to fly to Pearl, to Guam to Tan San Nut in Vietnam, and then they fly me. I got to land on an aircraft carrier and then down in the engine room. And so I'm down in the engine room and I'm working down there and uh, prove myself, you know, a capable watchstander. I could, you know, I knew in machinery, I could do things and, and make things not happen. So, uh, and we're, we run around there, we come back, I'm in back here at home in Alameda and I brought my wife and kid, I had a kid at the time, and uh, we're living in Oakland and we're getting ready in three months after we got back, we're gonna go out again for another cruise, another Westpac cruise, so we're getting ready. And uh, it's, um, this is the, the drug story, another drug story, okay? It's always another, another drug story. <laughs> so, well, there's a couple of them actually. Yeah, so, really, you just can't remember most of them, that's the problem yeah, with drug story. Uh, we're at parked, uh, moored in Alameda, and I got the weekend duty, and so you're on duty. You got to stay on the stay on the ship. Uh, aircraft carrier is a ship, a submarine's a boat, and you stay on the ship, and you have to be ready for anything. You know, you're just there, and so nothing's happening. The engine room's cold, the boilers are cold, nothing's happening. So we're just hanging, and a buddy goes, "Hey, well, let's drop some acid." Sure. Well, what the fuck? Got nothing to do. We'll drop some acid. We'll go up on deck and watch the sun go down on San Francisco Bay. Fine. You know, cool. So we drop some acid. All of a sudden, just there. hey, get ready. Get ready to take on steam into the engine room. We're leaving early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There's an engine room? (laughs) I ain't fucking kidding you. It was, and taken on steam. So boilers are heating the water up, and as soon as it gets up to this, like, like 600-pound steam, and it comes through the the bulkhead, and then you have to direct the steam to warm all the pumps up and warm up the main engine. It's like brain-fucking surgery. Twisting the valves at the right time, at the right temperature, in the right order. And the two of us are down there going, you know, and we're doing it, and we're doing it. And I remember I left uh, one of the big giant steam pumps. Uh, there's a, a valve in the bottom for draining and left the drain open. So steam is filling up this whole corner of the engine room. And I remember walking into this cloud of steam, you know, blind, you know, and reaching down and finding that valve. It's like my hands knew exactly where to go to close that valve and secure the steam up. And then we're fucking, and then the relief comes down and goes, how'd it go? Everything. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Another drug story. We take this thing out of the ocean. We take it out on another cruise. Uh, you know, Japan and Hong Kong. Hong Kong's one of my favorite fucking ports. Oh, Hong Kong is amazing. And uh, we, our last, uh, after like a six or seven month Westpac cruise, Hancock it goes to Sydney, Australia. Uh, and we're headed back across. Oh, no, I forgot the whole thing. Oh, shit, man. This set So, uh, before we leave on this cruise, I go down with my wife uh, to Los Angeles to visit friends. She has relatives down there. And I go to a party. And I had like a Friday or, or a Thursday, Friday. So we're down on Thursday and on Friday. And then I'd have to fly back up to Alameda on Friday because I had the weekend watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I go to this party. We're having a great time. And then, and then I go to the airport and there's a bomb scare. So they're frisking everybody. Oh. And they're and in my shirt pocket, mm-hmm. a joint. Yeah, of course. Yes. Holy shit. Yank me out of line. Uh, cops get me. Uh, uh, call the, uh, the Navy. Navy sends a shore patrol, pick me up. Take me to Long Beach. Throw me in the brig. And now I'm AWOL. Because it's right. you know, Saturday morning, and I'm only, I'm supposed to be back on the ship. It's so now I'm AWOL, uh, so I'm stuck here, and the, uh, they're going to hold me until Monday, and then I get to fly back and answer whatever, you know. Uh, but the, one of the the people who we were visiting in L.A. was a uh, parole officer for the L.A. County. Huh. He makes a couple of calls, and uh, the civilians throw away the charge. So. Wow. And so I'm, that's clear, but the Navy's got me. Uh, and so I get out and I uh, come back to Alameda, come report aboard on Monday morning. Hey, where were you, Holmes? What happened? I got in a little bit of trouble. You know, so they didn't, okay, but I didn't say anything. So the, okay. so the uh, AWOL didn't, they didn't. No, yeah. For that. I, I think I got a little extra duty or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. We go to the cruise six months, go to Brisbane, last port coming across the ocean, the Pentagon. Uh, it's probably that same fucking officer off the Tyru. Uh, the Pentagon says, well, this sailor, Holmes, got busted at the airport for marijuana. What have you done to reprimand him? Huh. So I'm short. I'm short. I've got like three months left in my enlistment. And now here's my second fucking drug bust. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, now, uh on board, I had been uh, a good a good watchstander in the engine room. 
uh, I was taking college courses, preparatory courses, because I knew I was going to go try to go to college. And I'm taking college courses, uh, and the proctor is the chaplain, and I'm taking uh, through San Diego uh, State. And uh, so I'm taking courses with him, and he's getting I'm in the radio station. I do. I volunteer to be a radio uh, jazz disc jockey on the ship's oh, cool. radio station. So I'm kind of like doing. And uh, so I'm, I had to go do a captain's mast. All right. And this is where the captain's mast is at a trial. And you stand there, and the captain, you know, goes, "Oh, okay. So you've uh, got busted for." And this is the second, you know, uh huh. Okay, second time. Uh -huh. Now behind me is the chaplain, an officer, uh, the officer in charge of the radio station. Okay, uh, my uh, chief, who was this Poe Bucker redneck, bald-headed motherfucker from Alabama, standing behind me, who always called me Holmes, your goddamn hippie. Holmes, you're a hippie. You know, he's standing behind me. Uh, I had this kind of choir to sing my praises to the captain. He does his job. Uh, he's improving himself. He donates his time for the ship, you know, da -da -da -da. and the captain kind of goes, I, I got to do something to you. So they find me for a month's pay. And then that was it. Skin of my fucking teeth. I could have got BCD again. Uh -huh. And how many months? You only had what? Three months left. Three months left. So we get back and uh, uh, back back to Alameda, and I, I I get out. Thank you very much, Navy. Now I'm here. Um, my dad goes, okay, you're out. Well, when are you coming back to Cleveland? All right. He says, you know, get you a job and get you a job at the power plant. Uh, I didn't tell him about all these uh, you know drug busts and loss of my nuclear power. Oh, well, Dad, I'm gonna hang out here in California for a little while. Me and uh, Barb and Jenny were living in uh, in Oakland near Lake Merritt, a nice little place, and um, uh, had the GI Bill, and right. which was really good at that time. I don't know, it went bad and it might have gotten better, but back then it was really good. And it, it, they pay you money to go to college, and Laney was right across the lake, and Laney was easy to get to because I didn't have any grades, never did the SATs, but mm -hmm. Laney would take anybody, particularly veterans. So I go to Laney for two years. And uh, uh, I'm taking. And what were you taking at Laney? Just general? General, because I'm looking for something new to do, because I'm not going to do that engineering thing anymore. Oh, I'm right. not going to be a machinist, mate. I'm not going to be a steam mechanic. You're not going to stand next to something really hot. None of that. Yeah. So uh, I'm fishing around. I'm taking, uh, I'm taking uh, sociology courses and psychology and pottery and photography. I kind of like photography. When I was overseas, first time you get over to Japan, everybody buys either a camera or a stereo system. And I hmm. bought a camera, really good 35 millimeter, good two and a quarter system. And I was taking pictures. So I had latent photo photographic tendencies. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, Laney had photographer uh, course. You could become, you know, a, an assistant to a real photographer. I said, so I started taking the photography courses, but they were commercial photography courses, taking pictures of bread, you know, making bread look good on a table. And I'm kind of like, eh, eh. I had some sort of latent artistic, you know, tendencies, I guess. And so and eh, eh, I'm taking more art courses, classes. And my last semester, oh, so I uh, said, so, well, where are you going next? I'm going to get a, an AA in general studies from Laney. Uh, let's see, where am I going to go next? I'm either going to go to UC Berkeley. I apply there for uh, uh, sociology, or I'm going to go to SF State, uh, applied there for uh, the arts 
program uh, photography, uh, uh, ceramics, anything. Ceramics, I like the ceramics a lot. So I was accepted at both of them at the beginning of the year. So I, okay, good, all right. And I got the GI Bill. Uh, my wife was working part-time and uh, it was enough back there in the early 70s, you know, you could live. You yeah. could survive in the Bay Area. It's hard to believe how much it's changed. People in those days could buy a house on unemployment. You know, you could make rent and make a mortgage. Yeah, so a different world. So I'm going, okay, uh, well, I got to stick around for one more semester here at Laney. I got a couple of requirements, class requirements I have to take, you know, a language thing, I think, to qualify for these these other, these two schools, and I'm going to, one of these I'm going to pick. And so I'm looking, I had a class on a Tuesday and a Thursday in the morning. And like early in the morning, okay, because it was a, you know, one of those classes nobody wanted to take, but you had to take. And then uh, a class late in the afternoon and nothing in between. So I'm going, well, I, instead of coming home, I'll stick around and I'll take something. I'm leafing through the catalog, Laney catalog, looking for something to take to fill in this Tuesday, Thursday, middle of the day, looking for something to take. And I would never in my life considered theater. Hmm. Was not on my radar whatsoever. Theater, Had you seen any shows? Or? Um, not much. No, no, not much at all. No, was not really drawn to it. Comedy, yeah. Comedy, you know, I was up for the comedy comedians. But there is a course there taught mime and movement. Uh, and oh, I heard about this mime thing. Fine. You know, when I was growing up on the couch with my dad uh, back in Cleveland, we would watch Red Skelton, Sid Caesar, you know, Jack Benny, the, you know, the yeah. golden age of c- uh, comedy television. And yeah. my dad and my so I had a taste for that because my dad loved that. And I love that. So uh, I went mime and movie. Yeah. OK, well, it fits right in here. What the hell? Probably a cushy course. You know, uh, Easy I'll take I just take it. Gordon Keller was the teacher. He had been a Navy guy back in the 50s, had gone to Paris, studied with Jacques Lecoq, came back and caught the mime wave that was breaking on the shores of uh, California at the time. And uh, he had a thing called the Berkeley Mime Troupe, which he had extracted uh, the best people from his class. And they were performing outside, white face, white tights, comedy and art, not no politics at all. Yeah. Slight, maybe a sociological on some of them. And they were doing shows. And uh, Gordon, I'm taking the class, and Gordon Keller, uh, he goes, uh, so Gordon's the mentor you're supposed to bump into once in a while. Mm-hmm. The guy yeah, right. Does your adjustment. And he goes, Where'd you study before? I says, Nowhere. I said, oh, well, you got a natural talent. Uh, what are you doing next? Well, so either UC Berkeley or SF State. He goes, Nah, you don't want to go there. You don't want to do that. You want to go study theater at Cal State Hayward, which is where he studied theater. And he says, let me introduce you. Go out there, introduce to uh, Jim Costi and uh, and, uh, so he says, if you studied theater at UC Berkeley, you got to you got to kiss ass for two years before you get on stage. Uh, SF State is okay too, but it's across the bay and go to Cal State Hayward. You'll get a lot of experience on stage, in the tech, everywhere. So three years, Cal State Hayward, I got a mass, uh, bachelor's in theater arts there. And while I was there, I was taking modern dance because I'm a physical comedian. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a couple of guys in the class going, I take this modern dance class. It's good for you. So I was taking the modern dance class. Uh, Dr. Gay Cheney, a woman 
who was teaching, uh, she comes to me and says, uh, how would you like a scholarship to Mills College? Mills College? Uh, he said, yeah, they got to have a couple of men in the department at the grad level for the women to do you know, their lifts, you know, and, and also choreograph for a male body. And I can get you a scholarship. So, well, yeah, I says, this is it. I get a master's. I got a bachelor's in theater, a master's in dance. That's my ticket to be a college professor. All right. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. And uh, so uh, me and the other guy, Ken Beltroni, we were the two guys on the dance department at Mills for two years. Uh, and uh, I took a lot of extra courses at the CCM, Center for Contemporary Music, doing experimental music, John Cagey stuff, Robert Ashley, David Behrman, Terry Riley, that kind of stuff. And I was collaborating with those people, doing weird music. I'm doing the dance thing. Uh, I'm uh, living just up the hill uh, yeah, uh, from Mills. And uh, so I get the end of Mills, you got to take, you got to, Put on a performance. Uh, you got to take uh, uh, an oral test, and you have to take a written test. Mm -hmm. So I take the written test. I take the oral, and I can talk my way out of anything, talk my way things. So you know, I could steer the question to what I knew, and then I had to do a performance. And, there's th and instead of doing just twenty minutes on the uh, the girls' grad night level, everybody has twenty minutes. Three of us. Ken Beltroni and then his girlfriend, uh, uh, Lisa, we decided we wanted our own night. So we got our own night in the theater and we put together our show. Uh, three of us shared the show and I did a thing called the cartoon opera. And I had mime and I had dance and I had cartoon. I just, we blew the roof off of the place. Wow. And, uh, but then comes the graduation time. Eleanor Lauer, she had worked with Martha Graham she was the head of the department, calls me up and says, Ed, I got, I got some bad news for you. She said, we're going to have to ask you to take the test again, the written test. You didn't get enough points. Didn't get enough points on your written test. And I'm on the phone. What do you mean? Points. I says, well, yeah, you got to get a, you know, you got to have 75 or above and you had 73 or something stupid thing like that. And so we're, we're asking you to come back again, you know. And uh, come back again and uh, take the test. A little pause. I went, okay. And I hung up the phone. And then I picked up the phone and I threw it against the wall. And I ran down the street. She lived right down the street from me, Eleanor. Oh. 10 o'clock at night, I'm knocking on the door. <laughs> Let me, I got to talk to you, Eleanor. I got to talk to you. She, poor, sweet lady, little gray-haired you know, and she's sitting behind her little table in the in the in the kitchen, you know, and I'm pacing back and forth, you know, talking, developing my theory of education. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me tell you what you should be doing. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I'm looking. I've I've worked with these guys across the uh, the street, the center. I've collaborated with those guys. I'm teaching on the outside part time. I'm doing kid shows. I was doing young audiences, doing the history of clowns and mimes for elementary schools all over the Bay Area. I'm doing that. I had that, you know, I says, that's got to count for something, you know. And so I talked her into another oral. So the next day I get to go into the oral. And the next day was supposed to be a day off for all the teachers because called grades day. But she calls. And so I walk into the room and they're all just glumly looking at me. Go, OK, why, why do we have to be here for Holmes? Yeah. <laughs> and so, again, you know, 
the test on the written test, you know, it, it, the questions like describe the evolution of choreography from 1700 to 1850 with names and dates and uh, choreographers and dancers and and I was kind of, uh, 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 but I knew some. So they asked me questions like that again, and I could steer it. And there was a guy in the Italy in 1700s named Salvadora Vigiano, who choreographed differently to music he was kind of like uh he took the sounds of music and turned them into specific motions almost like eurythmia or something and uh, so i knew about him and so i could i steered the conversation that way and i i showed them that i knew something about dance fucking history and i passed me so I had to talk my way. I had to talk my way out, out of Mills, and they were kind of like happy to see me go. I'm sure. <laughs> it seems like I like. I wonder with Mills, you know, because you at that time there weren't, like you said, there weren't many men going to Mills and getting yeah. their masters at Mills. Yeah. Is there like, are you on the wall at Mills? <laughs> Is it like the Ed Holmes hallway or something? <laughs> there's, it's probably a garbage bucket or something. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of guys over at the CCM, Center for Contemporary Music, that I collaborate. There's a few in the art department. But, yeah, we were a small crowd. And, uh, and a few, a number of years ago, 20 years ago, uh, Mills was going to go uncoed. You know, they're going to go co-ed. And the, they had a demonstration on campus where, you know, all the women were going, no, Minute Mills. And me and this one guy, uh, Christian Sheese, who was in the art department, he calls me up and says, we should go to the demonstration and, and have a sign. Mills men against men. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't do it. Oh, but it's he and I. Oh, so our graduation at Mills. So we're out in the big lawn, you know, and it's just picturesque place you know eucalyptus and charming architecture and just a beautiful thing and there's all the girls sitting there on the stage and they're calling the names out and handing the diplomas you're welcome and we're at the back end me and christian she's drop acid <laughs> and oh, I, we're having fun in the back and uh, i told the photographer at the beginning he's taking pictures of everybody and it comes up there click you know click you know, click and i says Take, be ready for a second picture with me. Okay, I'm a, I got a little something. Yeah. So underneath my robe, I had kind of a clown outfit, bright stripes and blues and things. It's like it. And so I walk up. Oh, and then I had a, a clown nose palmed in my hand. And so, uh -huh. yeah, uh, her, the president, her name is White. I can't remember the first name. Uh, White. She's up there and she's got this. So she's been up there for two and a half hours going, shaking hands, you know, you know congratulations. And shaking hands and congratulations. And she sees me and, yeah, okay, okay. And I grab her hand and she feels the something in her hand. And she, I could see, I could feel her go flex, you know, like that. And I pull my hand away like she had given me a clown nose, put the clown nose huh. on, opened my robe went to one knee and went ta-da and then popped up again and walked off the stage <laughs> and at the, the big reception afterwards some uh, you know mills is mostly you know, it's a lot of rich girls from the east coast uh, the parents send them there to get away from old boyfriends uh, and uh, some very rich folks uh, and this very nice well-dressed well-manicured coiffured dad you know he comes up and i'm at the table getting uh, some strawberries and then he goes very tasteful what you did. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> he said, sure, thank you. So now I got my master's. 
I got a bachelor's. I've been teaching here and there part-time. I taught at SF, uh, I taught at uh, Laney uh, part-time. I taught at the SF Museum. Uh, I taught, went back to Cal State Hayward, taught there. Uh, so I had a resume that was perfect for, you know, go out there and get myself a job in a theater department somewhere. Yeah. Prop 13. Prop 13 happens, knocks the pins out of the college, uh, the whole education system in California. All those co all those jobs had dried up. So uh, I'm still doing part-time stuff. This is 78, I graduated. Uh, but then Drew Letchworth, uh, Andrew Letchworth, who was in uh, the drama department with me at, uh, at Cal State Hayward, and Paul Harkness, he calls me up. Drew says, we're going to start a Commedia dell'arte troupe. Want to join? And I says, yeah, well, what should I do? He says, you should be UBR Latino. I said, OK. So we put together a five person troupe uh, called Familia Bologna. And we put together a show uh, seven, for the show uh, 78, you know, a half hour slapstick Commedia that we did at the Ren Fair in Novato. And we became really popular for the next two, three years. Uh, went through a transition uh, where all the women left because it's so testosterone. -y. And uh, we wound up with just seven guys. Uh, we called ourselves Fratelli Bologna. And so we planned that. We took that out into uh, Theater Arto, the Julian Theater. We took it to Hawaii. We were the headliners at the uh, Hawaii Ren Fair. And uh, then got the job on the right stuff. So um, I'm, and I'm getting commercials. So I'm making a living. A little bit of theater. I'm doing some commercials. Uh, doing some print work. I had an agent, and I'm kind of like just you know struggling along, and you could still do that. So this is early '80s, yeah. Uh, and uh, I go through a, a divorce, uh, amicable divorce. Uh, uh, my kid's uh, 13, and she's doing okay. And my parents move out; they move back to Cleveland. Suddenly, I uh, I have all my domestic responsibilities are all gone. Uh, my parents are taking they're taking care of themselves. My ex-wife's taking care of herself. Daughter's okay. So I got no ties, and uh, I'm broke basically. Oh, so I started working with Antenna Theater also, and oh, out yeah, of right. yeah. Chris Hardman, doing his experimental stuff. And I have friends in LA. Moved to LA. Say, come on down. We know you need work. Work's down here. Uh, you can sleep on our couch. Establish yourself. And he says, and I says, you know, that's a good idea. You know, this is summer, and I'm going, okay, finish the Ren Fair, and I go, I'm going to, end of the year, I'm going to move to L.A. I'm going to make the move. That's the right thing to do. Uh, Sigrid Wurschmidt, remember her? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, sweet Sigrid. So she, we were in a movie together, Alice's Adventures Underground, a little black and white 16, mm -hmm. uh, shot by Kevin Klein's sister, Kate Klein May, and a really sweet film, and I was in it. Uh, she was the queen, uh, and she's doing the mime troupe. She's doing uh, uh, Hotel Universe. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. And she says, well, hey, come on over and see this. So, yeah, so I go to Washington Square Park. I see her, and you know, and I was a fan of the mime troupe. Uh, never knew how it's how it worked, you know, mechanizations about getting in and forth. But I was a fan of what they did. And she says they're looking for a guy. Uh, be a CIA agent for the next show and they're having trouble finding it you should try so I throw my resume and headshot through the door Dan Chumley uh, calls me in uh, and after like two weeks he could I, I wasn't a singer uh, after two weeks it was either me or Harry Rothman oh yeah 
Remember Harry? So oh, yeah. uh, it's Harry had great voice. He could sing. I couldn't. Yeah. But so he, Dan kept, I would bring me in one day and try me on a scene. And then the next day he'd bring Harry in and try him. In, and then the next day me, he couldn't decide. He finally decided on me. Thank goodness. Thank you, Dan. And Thanks you're from going to Los Angeles. I didn't go to Los Angeles. Yeah. And, uh, that, and then he said, I'd come back off the tour. Uh, ten week tour. Uh, where did we go? I think we went to the East Coast, uh, Midwest, and uh, uh, I proved myself, you know, um, as a, a trooper. And they asked me to join, and that was it. And I went, I'm here, and the rest is history. Goodbye. <laughs> that was a good story. Good. And it's an hour and a half. But <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, and I'm, I am gonna try to get after I kind of put these together. I wanna get back to people to talk yeah. to them more about like mime trip years and stuff. Yeah. But oh yeah, that was Dude. a lot. And I think that was the first time I saw you was when in at the Ren Fair. Oh yeah. Cuz Valena and I and another friend were singing at the Ren Fair. Uh-huh. And so and we were we were in a small theater company and so we were just kind of checking out the companies and we saw Familia Bologna and Fratelli Bologna. Yeah. You know. And I remember, so when I saw you at the Mime Troop, I was like, it's that guy! <laughs> I was like, I get to work with him. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, I guess we should wrap it up for today. But all thanks right. so much. It was so interesting. Oh, you know, good. and I've worked with you all these years and know you, and I still learn more stuff, which good. is always cool. Cool, buddy. This has been the Mimecast, and I've been Michael Gene Sullivan. Music for the Mimecast is by Dred Scott. Now, if you're interested in seeing video versions of any of these interviews, please check out the San Francisco Mime Troop YouTube channel. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Power to the people.